Good morning. It's good to see everyone out this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's good to see everyone out, especially with so many out sick and uh, perhaps traveling, but probably most sick. I want to make sure we keep everyone in our prayers. It seems to be hitting rather hard, especially this time of year. Uh, And um, it's just good to be able to, I, I wasn't able to sing as much as I usually can this morning for obvious reasons, but uh, it was good to be able to listen and hear worship being given to God. Uh, If you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, we're going to look at one verse in particular, but before we do, I just want to ask the question to kind of guide our thoughts this morning. If Paul were to write to this church today, what do you think he would tell us to focus our attention on? I think there's several things that we could come up with in our minds. There's, I mean, a myriad of things that would probably come up, especially with the current religious culture that we live in, uh, well, within the religious world, but even within the secular world that we live in. People that just don't believe in God and don't care about his his, uh, standard and therefore the morals that we're supposed to derive from him. So there's all kinds of things that we could look at, but there's just one verse that I want to look at in particular this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 13. It says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. And so There are three different things that he says to give attention to uh, in this one verse alone. And there, again, there are all kinds of things that we could look at. But but these three things, I think, are interesting because it all boils down to a, a major focus on God's word. So you have... This public reading of scripture. Reading is good, but if we spend more time on commentaries than God's word, something's off. He talks about exhortation. Exhortation is helpful, but if it comes from a source outside of scripture, what use is it? It's exhortation that really comes from from a carnal standpoint, if that's the case. And and obviously, when you look at that notion of teaching... it's very clear where that teaching is supposed to come from or derive from. In fact, I like the way the New King James puts this. It says doctrine. And so you could read it as the public reading of Scripture, exhortation, and to doctrine. And really all of that comes down to that, 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 um, that one major focus of Scripture, God's Word. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning, that, that, <clears throat> that we need to give all of our attention that we may need to give more attention to scripture because I think it become it can become very easy for Christians even Christians to think well I'm already a Christian so why bother with this I've already read this before and we're going to talk about that as we go along but frankly we need to be careful that we never get to that point that we are supposed to give attention to the scriptures that we are supposed to give attention and frankly all of our attention and if it's not all of our attention, as much as possible to the scriptures in the uh, daily reading uh, uh, of our Bibles. And especially with a new year coming up, I always think that it's prudent to, to have a lesson that kind of goes over this, this main point of the need that we have for scripture in our lives. And frankly, that's going to be the first main question that we try to answer. Is it, why is it so important to focus on this? And why is it that we need to be relentless on focusing on the word and God's word? Um, And so I would just say from the outset, remember who Paul is writing to here. 
Yes, he's writing to a Christian. And frankly, all of the things that he tells Timothy, they're going to be given to other Christians. Because all throughout the first and the second Timothy and even Titus, Paul will say, you need to preach this to others. You need to extend this and share this information to others. And so, yes, it's going to Christians, but remember who Timothy is. It's an evangelist. And so even an evangelist from the words of Paul or from the mind of Paul needs to be reminded of these things and needs to be ever uh, uh, thinking about them continually, not just thinking about them for a moment. You know, you have your common work day, maybe how we kind of treat our secular jobs. We have a work day, but when we go home, we're done with work. But there's a degree of there, there's, there should never be a moment in your life where this is not a part of your day, where this is not a part of your life. And so the need for this never ends, even for an evangelist, uh, even for a Christian who's not an evangelist. No matter who we are, this is always supposed to be something that is uh, a part of our day. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we tend to read verses 16 and 17, and obviously for good reason. That all scripture is, is, is uh, breathed out by God, is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for correction, all of these things. And we even looked at that, uh, those two verses last week. But I think it's interesting that when we come to this passage, we tend to forget verses 14 and 15, which give this a lot more context. So let's look at verse 14. It says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so I think verses 14 and 15 give uh, verses 16 and 17 a lot more context. Because here you have a man, Timothy, who is an evangelist, and he says, this is something you needed. This is something you still need now, even though you're an evangelist, and you might know more, more scripture, you might know more doctrine than most other people. You still need this. And, and that didn't end even in childhood, because he makes that point that when you were a child, you were taught these things, and it was ne there was never a point in your life where you could just say, all right, I'm past that. No. We're always going to be in a point in our lives where we need this. That this is supposed to be a guiding light to us forever. And so Paul doesn't write to Timothy saying, you know, you learned that stuff as a child and, you, and, and your grandmother and your mother did a really good job. You're obviously very faithful. You're good now. Move on from it. He, he's just emphasizing the fact that you need to stay in this. And frankly, you move on to chapter 4 and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, that you preach the word, and you stay in this word. Uh, and so, uh, frankly, I, I think too many Christians today don't view this the same way Paul does. As he's writing to an evangelist saying, you need this forever, and you need this constantly. A lot of times when, when Christians look at the Bible or we go through a Bible class, we, we're reading through things that we've heard before, and, and sometimes we may think, I've even heard Christians say, I've heard that before. I already know this. And so, frankly, maybe I need a little bit more. Or, frankly, maybe let's just move on because this is the, this is the elementary stuff we don't need. You're never going to get to a point where you're so enlightened and so intellectual and academic now where you're not going to need the elementary teachings of Christ. The, the, the maturity and spiritual maturity is built on those foundations. 
So we don't just get to say that we're just going to forget the ABCs because we need that to get to that spiritual maturity. And we're just, we'll just continue focusing on that as we go. But whether Timothy was a child or an adult, whether he's just a, a Christian who is a part of a local congregation or an evangelist, and that is his priority, that is his main job in life, he needed this. So what do you think we need, regardless of who we are, regardless of our age, regardless of our jobs? Every single one of us needs to give attention to Scripture, and we need to continually give our attention to it. And so just with that alone, I want to think about what Scripture and only Scripture, what only God's Word can provide. There's a few things. There's, there's a whole list of things that we could put. There's just three things that I want to mention just, just as we think about this. First of all, only in Scripture is provided the words that lead to eternal life. In John chapter 6, in verse 68, what does Peter say to Jesus when the whole crowd leaves Jesus because of his hard teaching? He looks at his disciples and he says, well, are you going to leave also? Peter, with this beautiful confession here, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And by implication, what does that mean? Does anybody else have it? Does anybody else have words that literally lead to eternal life, to salvation? There's a lot of people that might say they do, but no one can say with the authority and no one can say with the level of assurance as Jesus can. Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. And this is the only source we're going to find it. In, in, you go earlier in this chapter in verse 63. I just want to read this very quickly because I think this uh, gives even more emphasis to what uh, Peter says there in verse 68. But in verse 63, Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh Prophets nothing, but the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Jesus had a very serious uh, mindset on the word of God. You remember when he's tempted in Matthew chapter 4 and the first temptation that Satan tries to tempt him with, with, with hunger, he says, turn these stones to bread. Ultimately, what he's trying to do is get Jesus to act outside of God's will. And Jesus makes clear, I'd rather starve to death and act outside of God's will than, than to act outside of the word that God has given me. I act not on my own initiative, but my Father's. As is consistent from Matthew chapter 4, John chapter 5, verse 19, verse 30, and all throughout the gospel, you see that time and time again that this is more important to Jesus. He would rather die, and frankly, he does. And so, when thinking about this, it, it causes me to despair that we look at Jesus and how he looks at Scripture, how, how God manifests in the flesh looks at Scripture, and how some Christians look at Scripture today. How many Christians go to outside sources because this is just not entertaining enough? And frankly, I think a lot of it comes down to maybe what we're taking in. We are so accustomed to novels that are supposed to keep your attention for every single sentence of every single page. It's written to be that riveting with every single word. But the Bible, this is, you know, what we're doing is we're going from one place where they're just trying to, they're just trying to make you excited and just trying to make you hooked on every single word. And then you come to the Bible and God says, here's words that lead to eternal life. And we're not as, as uh, you know, we don't find it as riveting. We're not as excited about that. This is a serious problem, but only here. Are we going to find words that lead to eternal life? Not only that, but only here can we find a knowledge of God and a knowledge of who he is. 
uh, and what his character is. There is no other way that we can derive these things. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. It says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. What is Paul saying here? There's a couple applications we can take from this. But one of the main things that he's saying is the only way that we are going to know God and who he is and his will for us is if he gives it to us. And he has through the Holy Spirit and through the word that we have either in our laps or on our phones in our pockets. This is the very knowledge of God. It is the very mind of God given to us. And frankly, it bothers me when, when we look at it that way and yet people still think, I need something a little bit more exciting. Doesn't that bother you thinking that way? That here is the very mind of God and you have the ability to learn what kind of character he has and you have the ability to try to mimic and imitate that character and it's not keeping my attention. I think that's a problem. A lot of people like to talk to God, or they like to talk about God, but not a lot of people like for God to talk to them and only be doing the talking. I think there's a clearly prayer is a commandment, and we need to be mindful of the benefits of prayer for us. But I'm afraid that there are a lot of people today who spend only time talking to God and not enough time listening. We need to be prayerful, and we need to be always coming before the throne of God in that way. But we can't do that without knowing who he is. And we can't do that without listening first and after. It needs to be a continual mindset of, I want to hear what God has to say. And frankly, how many relationships do you enjoy where you are the only one who does the listening and everyone else does all the talking? And I understand the irony of a preacher saying that, <laughs> but just look past that for a moment. It's not a very fun relationship. And we don't feel very fulfilled. We don't feel very loved. We don't feel very cared for. And I wonder how God feels whenever we do the same with him. And so we need to be mindful of these things. So only in this word, only in the Bible, are we going to find words that lead to eternal life. There's no other place. There's no other person. It is only here that we're going to get a knowledge of God and a true knowledge of God. And it's the only place that we are going to find authority for all that we do. Uh, in John 14 and verse 6, what does Jesus say? But I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and we've already kind of talked about a couple of these things, particularly when it comes to being the life, literally. But being the way and the truth, what that means is it's exclusive. There's no other way and there's no other truth except for this. Where else can we establish doctrine as the New King James puts it? You can't. There's lots of doctrines out there, but there's lots of false doctrines out there. And we have to be able to distinguish between sound doctrine, Christ's doctrine, and false. And we cannot do that without coming to this word. And so, as we go into a new year, 
trying to rededicate ourselves to a, a daily Bible reading and reading through the Bible in a whole year. I would just say, try to focus on these things. Remember when you get tired, this is what you're coming to. This is why it's so important. <clears throat> this is why we need to relentlessly focus on it. Now, for the next few moments, I just want to end with thinking about, are we focusing on it correctly? Are we focusing on it rightly? And the first thing that I want to go to is Romans chapter 10. How are you approaching the word in your study? If you are uh, engaging in a personal study at all, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 is a very common and, and loved passage verse because it should be. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, and <clears throat> there, there's a strong reason why we constantly uh, uh, repeat that verse. But I would just like to emphasize the context of this verse. And I'm not saying that if we don't have the context, we don't understand what this verse means. I just think that the context emphasizes what it says. Because look at the argument Paul is making. In verse 14 of Romans chapter 10, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And so what is he saying? You can't believe in something or trust in something if you haven't first heard anything about it. If you don't know anything about it. And how will they hear without a preacher? If no one's come to tell them this, well, they've had no opportunity to hear. In verse 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news and of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. How are they being disobedient and obstinate? He's made this argument the entire way. Because people are trying to say, well, how could I have known? Well, you heard, didn't you? Well, the, 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 no one was ever sent to me. Oh, they were. And constantly, from Moses, the law, to the prophets in Isaiah. And so nobody in Israel could say, oh, how could I have known? You were given every opportunity. And frankly, a lot, there's a lot of people today that make, I think, similar arguments. How could I know? But the gospel has been preached to all creation, hasn't it? How could I have heard? And yet they have the Bible so accessible in their hands or in their pockets as we were indicating earlier. I love this point of scripture because one, it proves that sarcasm isn't always wrong because Paul's being very sarcastic here to make a point. And, and, and as he's talking to people who had already heard God's word but are refusing to listen to it, we need to be just as prepared to maybe see ourselves in the same light. He's talking to religious people. He's talking to people that already knew Jehovah. And, and yet it's these people that are trying to say, how, how could we have known? I think people do this today, even, uh, even Christians. People do this today by bringing preconceived notions into their Bible reading. Instead of asking a question 
and then going to God and Him alone for the answer, what happens is we bring our own thoughts. Maybe someone has talked to us before. Maybe we've read something before, and we try to read that into the Scripture. I think that's the same kind of attitude that these Israelites had, that Paul is condemning. Are you really hearing? Are you really listening? Or are you bringing something into the conversation? Or when people try to pretend that we just can't know the answer. Didn't we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, God has made it clear we can know his will. So that's just, it's a dishonest, it's a dishonest attitude. And we need to make sure we don't have that same kind of dishonest attitude. Are we truly listening when we read our Bibles? Are we truly applying what we're reading? Go ahead and turn over to James chapter 1. <clears throat> James chapter 1. In verse 22. James chapter 1 and verse 22. <coughs> James 1 and verse 22 says, But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. This is very clearly <clears throat> a passage that teaches that it's not just people who, who say that they have faith. It has to be an active faith. And we understand that. We've talked about that before. What I really want to focus on in this verse is how do we delude ourselves? Because what he says is the reason that this happens is because people delude themselves. They've tricked themselves into thinking one thing, into thinking one way when really it's another. Have, have you ever thought or heard a Christian say something like, why am I struggling so much? with this particular sin? Why, why can't I just get rid of this sin? Why is it that I just can't grow in this capacity? But they won't do anything to change it? There's, people like to complain a lot about the situations they're in. Why is it that this enticement is, is never leaving and relentless in my life? Maybe it's because we haven't applied the teaching of Jesus into our lives. We've heard it, but have we done it? Or maybe someone says, I just don't understand why I'm not getting closer to God. And yet, while they're complaining about that, they're not doing as he has asked them to do. They're not doing as he has instructed to do. You want to draw nearer to God, you've got to submit to him. And that means in everything. Is there something that we're not submitting in? Because you can't submit to God unless you're willing to submit wholly and fully. Or maybe it's not even something, maybe it's not something like that. Maybe it's not necessarily an issue of fully submitting to him. Maybe it's an issue of, you, you know, we say we want to draw nearer to him, but we're not willing to take the time to draw nearer to him. As we were talking about earlier, it takes more than just talking to someone to grow close. You've got to listen. And so are we truly listening and listening to apply? We delude ourselves when we want spiritual growth, but won't follow God's instruction to get there. A lot of times people will ask, other people. How do I do this? How do I grow in this? God's already given the answer. Maybe it's just an issue of, of an unwillingness to fully give in to those new habits. And so are we listening? Are we listening to apply? And are we just trying to, you know, quote unquote, get this done? Are we treating this like just a mere chore? So that way we read and then we're done. Or are we reading to consider it? Are we reading to meditate? on it. And, and frankly, this is one of the main um, recommendations that I give to people whenever they ask how I, I just, I want to get more out of my Bible study. This is one of the main things I say. Try to maybe uh, limit your time that you're spending on the Bible study and think about what you read. 
And, and I truly believe that that helps. Staying in James chapter 1, in verse 23, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. And so it gets even more clear as you look in James chapter 1. It's not just somebody who comes, looks, and then leaves. It's someone who comes, looks, and thinks, contemplates this, and continues to think about it, and continues to look into it. You can't get anything out of this if you just, you know, read a verse a day, and then, oh, okay, I'm good. And, and, and so maybe, maybe what happens is we've been reading for 30 minutes. Maybe we've been reading for 40 minutes a day. And we've done really well about reading the whole Bible in a year. In fact, we've been reading it in even quicker than a year. But maybe we've been treating it like it's a, a, a checklist. I've got that done for the day. Now let's move on. We cannot grow if we don't think and meditate on what we were reading. Are we learning anything? I tell you, when I was in school, I got to pass a lot of classes, not because I learned anything, but because I I memorized it very quickly and very briefly, and as soon as the test was over, it, it was gone. By the time we got to finals at the end of the semester, I was lost because what it meant was the people that actually learned those ABCs at the beginning and didn't just learn them for a test just to forget them in the end, they had a lot less work to do. I had to relearn everything. And, and, and so I think it's the same way with the scriptures. People come to this and think, it should, things should be better. I should, be all, I, I should have been growing by this point. But maybe we're just approaching this in, as a chore and not as a way to actually learn and progress in something. <clears throat> Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. In verse 8. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He doesn't just say, look and leave. Dwell on them. And so maybe when we're reading through the Sermon on the Mount and we read through those Beatitudes, don't just read them and say, hey, I can, I can name every single one of those off. Think about what each of those Beatitudes mean in your life. And how does that change how I act today? How does that change how I, the kind of person that I am today? So we need to come to his word, but we must also think about it and continually meditate on it. Finally, I want to ask, are we giving ourselves time to grow? This is one of the main uh, stumbling blocks, I think, when it comes to Bible reading. We just get exasperated so easily. Because what we want is a certain amount of growth. Well, what tends to happen is somebody looks around at a brother or a sister in the congregation that they go to, and they think, I want to be able, I want to know the Bible like they do. I want to be able to make good points in the Bible class like they do. And what happens is we've been doing our Bible reading for maybe one month, two months, maybe three months, and we're just not getting there. And so people get exasperated. They get tired. They grow weary. What we need to remember is, how Jesus likens the word to his seed in Luke chapter 8 and verse 11. As he's going through that parable of the soils, he says, the, the, the seed is the word of God. And it has a very similar effect in James 1 again in verse 21. Look at how it talks about the word. In James 1 in verse 21, 
And we could go to First Peter as well. But in James 1 and verse 21, it says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Like a seed, it has to first be planted. And so maybe it hasn't been planted. Maybe all we've been doing is holding the seed in our hands, expecting something to happen, when really we haven't done any of the cultivating. We haven't done any of the work to actually produce a harvest. You can't get deeper in the word unless it first penetrates the surface. You know, I know we want to get deeper than the surface, but it has to at least get to the surface to start with. And then once, it's, once, it, once we have planted it, then we can start to see some growth. Then we can maybe start to feel some growth. And what that means is the first step is reading it. So if we're not reading it right now, the only way to draw nearer to God is to start reading it. And I'm not just talking about in Bible class. Frankly, people get exasperated because they think that the Bible reading that they do on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, that's going to do it for them. I'm talking every single day. Well, how does the psalmist talk about God's word, but that it is a light, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path? That's how we got to view it if we want to grow in it. And, and let me just tell you, most of the time, the people that are able to make really good points and the people that are able to seamlessly and effortlessly go through the Bible story, it's not because they just, you know, knocked it off like a chore. It's because they really, truly know it. They're not waiting for Sundays and Wednesdays. They are waiting for the dawn. They're waiting to wake up to read it. That's why they've gotten to that point. And so it needs to be planted uh, just like a seed. And just like a seed, it needs to be nourished. It needs to be watered. We want those light bulb moments where we can make really cool points, but that doesn't come the first time around. There was a brother named Tom Holly who wanted to learn more about Ezekiel before he ever preached on it. And he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Ezekiel once every week. And then he said he got, through that, he got through that one year, and then he kept reading because he just forgot. He was just enjoying it so much he just forgot, and he ended up reading it every week for two years before he ever preached on it, before he ever made a point about it. Now, there have been times where he'll make a point and someone thinks, oh, man, I really want to be able to make those, that same level of, of, of impactful, profound points when you look through Ezekiel. But it's not because he went there once and read it. He read it for every single week for two years straight. So is this going to take work? Yeah, it is. And so that means you have to read it over and over again. But don't think, don't think, like we were talking about earlier, that we don't need that. I know that stuff. If we're saying that, clearly we don't know it, or we don't know it well enough. And so we need to keep on cultivating that soul. We need to keep on nourishing it as best we can. And don't lose heart. Just because you can't see the growth underneath the surface, that doesn't mean it's not growing. And what's going to happen if because we become impatient, I need, to see if the, I need to see if it's gotten any roots. I need to see how deep the roots have gone. What happens when you pull them out? You've undone all the work. You've got to trust that growth is happening. And the, and the way that I like to illustrate this is in this way. People want to make these big, profound points, and they don't realize that just learning the Bible story, they're getting to that point. They don't realize that in just learning the characters throughout the Bible, with Adam going to Noah, going to Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then to the Israelites, and so on, just learning those characters Maybe you're not going to be able to make that big point that you want to, but you're getting to the point where you can. Why? Because you're learning the story. Just learning these foundational elements, doctrine. I, I, I know that sometimes we go through some sermons and it feels like we've been over this a hundred times. 
We know that we need authority. But we're never going to stop needing it. And frankly, there are some people that need to hear that for the first time or need to rehear it. And so it's not something that you can just do away with. Just because you have to deal with these foundational elements, just because we have to keep on hearing these foundational elements repetitively, as Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1, or uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, it may feel like we're not growing, but spending time in God's word is never a waste of time. If I think it's a waste of time, the problem is me. My growth is lacking because I look at it like it's a waste of time. The best Bible students are those who look at every single topic and look at every single passage and don't immediately think, I don't need this. The best Bible students are the ones who maybe, they've, maybe they have heard it a thousand times. In fact, I'll tell you, there are some preachers that I've, you know, I, there are men that I look up to that I never want to preach in front of. J.R. Bronger is one of those men, and I've had to preach in front of him a couple times. And you, you get kind of nervous because you know he's, you know, just better. <laughs> but when you look at men like that in the audience, what's interesting is they're not just constantly like, oh, man, I, I could have made that point better. Or leaning over like that, I, I definitely would have said that more eloquently. Every time, those men are the ones most engaged. And they're shaking their heads up and down. And they're whispering, amen. The reason they're such good Bible students, the reason they're such good speakers and presenters of the word is because they've heard it a thousand times and they want to hear it again. So maybe it just comes down to, do you love the word? Maybe that's why you're not giving more attention to it. You're not going to ever be able to love it unless you start coming to it and coming to it again and again and again, drinking from this well over and over. Have you ever done that before? Maybe you're a Christian and you have allowed sin back into your life. Maybe it's because you haven't focused enough on this word. You can refocus. You can give your attention back to doctrine and to teaching, sound teaching. If you are not a Christian, remember how we started. This and only this pertains the words of life, the words of eternal life. Are you willing to truly listen to everything that it says and act on it? Repent of the things that Jesus says you have to do away with Make a confession based on your belief. Be faithful in these things and be baptized into his death to rise in newness of life. You can have life this morning. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.